Well, a regular feature on our show is going to be Dr Libby Weaver. She joins us now. She is just fantastic to talk to, Dr Libby. Very good afternoon, Dr Libby. Oh, Simon and Phil, hello. It's a joy to join you. Thank you so much. Oh, that's, oh, that's lovely to have you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we really, we really do appreciate it. And we're starting to get some texts coming in already, and we're, and we're also going to open the phone line side as well, Yeah, definitely. We? If you've got a question you'd like to put to Dr Libby about your health, she's very familiar with this stuff. She knows how to do it. She's just so good. But Libby and I have known each other for years, and I, I probably there's not many people that I respect more for their advice when it comes to sort of issues around health. So um, if you've got a question, text us uh, to 9292 or give us a call 0800 80 10 80 and you can have a yak with Dr Libby. Very good indeed. Texts. Yes, Dr Libby, here's a question from Jane. She says, I know and it's quite reasonable that there's a lot of information out there and we should worry about skin cancer. Does this mean that we basically should avoid sunlight more or less altogether? The simple answer is no because the only way that we really get vitamin D, which is essential to our, our life, we, 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 we eventually die if we don't get enough vitamin D. Vitamin D, is that we predominantly get it from sunshine, yep. uh, and it's incredibly important for the immune response. When we're low in vitamin D, uh, the immune system just can't work as well as it, it does when we've got good levels of vitamin D in our blood. So it's the timing of the exposure that we need to be conscious of. So particularly, obviously, in the summer when the UV index is very high, often between about 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., and obviously that can expand uh, the longer the light lasts. Uh, so the the early morning exposure and the end of the day exposure is um, considered to be relatively safe. And we need about 20 minutes exposure uh, each day in in those lower UV index hours to get our vitamin D each day. Gee whiz, I've got to get out more. Uh, Dr. Libby said, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Libby says this texter, I'd love your thoughts on coffee. I'm a, mass, I'm a female, massive coffee drinker. I have probably seven to 10 cups a day. Is that too many? Is it dangerous for my health? Oh, goodness me. So uh, I don't have any blanket statements when it comes to how much coffee uh, is okay for someone to drink because I think it's highly variable, our tolerance for it. So a couple of things for this person to consider. So uh, coffee definitely has some health benefits. We know that it improves bile production, for example. The liver produces bile and we need the bile to be able to fully detoxify, i.e. transform and then eliminate fat-soluble problematic substances, which is, uh, for example, a lot of pesticides are fat-soluble. So to get rid of those out of the body, we need good bile production. Coffee helps with that. However, one of the big things coffee does is it leads the human body to produce adrenaline. And historically, the only time we made adrenaline was when our life was literally in danger. But in modern times, we're producing adrenaline because of our perceptions of pressure and urgency and also because of massive caffeine consumption. So when we uh, produce all that adrenaline, uh, because the body thinks it's the life's in danger, our blood pressure goes up. One in three adults in New Zealand has high blood pressure, and there are many mechanisms behind that, but high adrenaline is one of the reasons. The blood supply that is normally so fantastic to the digestive system gets diverted away from digestion to the arms and the legs to help us escape from this supposed danger. Yeah. One in yeah. five women in New Zealand have irritable bowel syndrome, uh, and food's playing a role in that, but so is this adrenaline response. So... There are some big consequences when we have high levels of adrenaline for too long in our body. It doesn't matter if it's in short, sharp bursts, but seven to ten cups a day, is that, that would lead to quite a lot of adrenaline. <laughs> so I get this person to consider. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, really interesting you say that because a lot of women go to caffeine when they're sort of feeling stressed anyway. They go, I've got to have my coffee. And that, I guess that just amps them up even more, does it? It's exactly right, Simon. So... Um, and I think too, in those moments, it's really, we, we often link the drink we want to 
having a break or almost resting our mind and thinking, uh, I, I just need some space right now. I'll go make a coffee or I'll go to a cafe and grab a coffee. And it's often just a bit of thinking time or space that we need. Mm. And uh, we link it to the drink. So we need to maybe choose some different drinks at times. Yeah, great. Now, Doug, I'm hoping technology works here. Libby, I'm still learning this new machine, but Doug's on the line. Hi, Doug. Yeah, g'day. How are you? Great. Good, thank good. you, mate. Now, Dr. Libby, can you hear Doug? I can, thank you so much. Perfect. Doug, what's your question for Dr. Libby? Yeah, um, look, I had a, a, a fall um, a couple of months back and, and uh, hurt, hurt my hip and things. And um, now it seems I've got nerve pain. I'm taking a bit of uh, nortriptyline and a bit of gabapentin, but by sort of midday, one o'clock in the afternoon, it's, it's that bad. Half the time, I, actually, I've... Sometimes I can't even walk. I've got to stop. So, and I was just wondering if you had any tips what I could do to give it a bit of a kick or... For nerve pain. Oh, Good question. Doug, yes, Doug, and that's a really, um, really tricky situation to be in. So it's important that I'm clear. I'm not a medical doctor. I studied nutrition and dietetics and then did a PhD in biochemistry. So I've got a lot of science in my background. So I'm answering your question based on, on a, a, a biochemical, if you like, response. I, I understand pain mechanisms. And with the biochemistry of that, so with the pain that you're in, it sounds like some additional intervention might be needed because you can't stay living on those painkillers for the rest of your life. So there's still something that's not obviously quite right. So I would actually be going back to uh, to your GP and then potentially to, to a surgeon to get further advice about that because you can't you know, live with that level of pain. You, you, you must get your mobility back. So... It might involve some physiotherapy. I'm not. I'm not really sure, but I would really yeah. encourage you to to get a bigger answer on that. Good, thank, thank you thank very you, much Libby. indeed, Doctor Libby. Mark uh, sends a text in saying, "Is well, back? This is not coffee, but it's another drink. Is fresh ginger and lemon and hot water a good drink to start the day? Exceptional, truly, truly wonderful. Uh, the ginger, <clears throat> the ginger helps to stimulate." Uh, a couple of different digestive system processes. The lemon juice uh, is also very good for stomach acid production. So the the whole digestive system, a little bit complex, I'll keep it as simple as I can. The whole digestive system is a, is run on what's called a pH gradient. So we need the pH of the stomach acid to be very, very acidic. Uh, and ideally it sits at about 1.9. And then gradually as the food moves from the stomach into the small intestine and eventually into the large intestine, the pH slowly increases until the waste that leaves our body is almost at the neutral pH, which is 7. And if it's not, it burns our bottom and is uncomfortable, which is what often happens with babies because their digestive system is immature. So when we start the day with um, ginger and lemon in in warm water, it's incredibly good in in helping to support that that pH gradient be well established. So great habit to to establish and keep going with. Thanks, Libby. Uh, Chris is on the line. Hi, Chris. Yes, I just want to ask... um I do irregular hours in the security industry. Yeah. Is it all right to have a big can of mother or bee drink every night? Well, I do five nights a week just to keep me awake. Is is that all right for a, a keeping awake kind of um, way of working? That's a good question. A, That's a good question. The energy drinks you're talking about, Chris, obviously. Yeah. yeah. The mother or the yeah. um, demon. I have one every night and... Um, it's the only way to keep me awake. I just feel so drained because, um, you know, I've, you don't have a life. No, that's a good question. What? Are, what? Are, I'm interested in the answer to this too, Dr Libby. <laughs> 
So uh, with with the energy drinks, it's predominantly caffeine uh, that that is going to drive that awakened uh, response. Uh, sometimes that some of the brands add other substances like guarana, which is a is, is another stimulant similar to caffeine. Uh, but so essentially, they're all stimulants, and and that leads to what we were talking about earlier, which is the production of adrenaline, which is why it makes us uh, feel more alert and and more awake. Mm. Probably that my biggest concern with the energy energy drinks are the other ingredients that are in there. So they're usually laden with sugar. Uh, and sometimes other real artificial type sugar is not artificial, but often they're laden with artificial ingredients. So it's more my concern the consumption of those than the, than the caffeine. So a black coffee would be a much better choice at that time if you feel like you needed that kind of stimulation from, from caffeine. That's good stuff, Dr Libby. Thank you so much. Like we're getting loads of texts in here. Are you happy to stay for another break with us, Dr Libby? Absolutely. Thank you. Joined by Dr Libby, who just is so great to yak with. If you've got a question for her about your health in terms of, you know, like the energy drinks thing is a very good question because so many people are consuming those drinks, aren't they, Libby? They are, and my biggest concern is the the younger generation coming through who have almost learned to rely on them. And it's a great concern because teenagers lay down about 50% of their adult bone mass between the ages of 12 and 18, and there's a huge level of consumption amongst that age group of these energy drinks. And unfortunately, when we're supposed to be laying down that bone mass, there are ingredients in these energy drinks that actually drain minerals out of our bones, which, which thins them and makes them weaker. So... I'm quite concerned about what's going to happen for people who are currently teenagers drinking all these energy drinks, uh, you know, down the track when it comes to their bone structure and and, um, and how robust they are. Exactly. Uh, Tan is on the line. Hi, Tan. Hi, mate. Um, hey, dude. I'm a 50-year-old woman. I work 12-hour shifts as a nurse. Yes. And I'm addicted to Red Bull. And what I want to um, ask Libby is, how do I come down off this naturally? Mm. Oh, great question. Firstly, thank you for the work that you do. We, I think the world would fall apart if we didn't have nurses, so mm. thank you for that. Um, and so to, to answer your question, and it's a very, very good one, I think a really important one, it's better and more comfortable for you to do it gradually. So how many would you have a day at the moment? Oh, God, uh, I'd do a six-pack. A 12-hour shift. Gee. Yeah. And more. Um, it's Red Bull. Yeah. So if you... Uh, and, and, and also um, coffee. Right. Okay. So if you total... You, you don't have to tell me now, but if you total up the number of caffeinated drinks you consume uh, per shift, my suggestion is that each week you just have one less. So let's say right now you have 10 caffeinated drinks the, between the coffee and the Red Bull. And you pick one, either coffee or Red Bull, and you have one less for your shifts this week. And then next week you drop it back by another one. And that way, as your body becomes used to relying on less uh, caffeine and less stimulants that you're getting from those drinks, uh, the transition will be a lot smoother for you. You might like to use green tea, which has uh, some caffeine in it. But the benefits of tea is that there's another substance in tea called theanine, and still get the effects of the caffeine, the alertness, but it's not the big hit. Uh, and the theanine buffers the effect of the caffeine. So once you're down to, say, three caffeinated drinks a day, you might like to switch over to green tea. You'll get a little bit of caffeine, 
uh, without all the other concerning things that might be in some of those other drinks. That's, that's very good advice. Libby, we've got the text machine is lit up here, uh, so I'll try and get through another couple if we can before we let you go. Uh, hey there, guys. Loving this bit with Dr. Libby. Can you please ask her, is it okay, is it safe to take an iron supplement even if your blood test shows normal? My daughter is 14. She gets dizzy spells on rising from sitting, sometimes fainting. She eats healthy. Doctor says she's fine, but we're on the liver supplements. Uh, iron supplements are big pun. Okay, so uh, iron, you only take iron if you are deficient. So if the blood tests are not showing that she's iron deficient, she doesn't need the supplementation. If she's dizzy on rising when she goes from laying to standing, I'd be taking her blood pressure. It sounds like it's potentially on the low end of the normal range. Right, and, and is it damaging to your body if you take iron when, when your bloods are normal? Uh, it can be because the liver stores it, and if the right. liver ends up storing too much, it can harm the liver. Okay. Fair Dr. Enough. Libby says this texter, do you have any books or references for diet uh, for Crohn's disease in children or young adults? Uh, so a couple of different references uh, for that. Uh, there's a group of dietitians who put together a way of eating, and the acronym is FODMAPS, F-O-D-M-A-P-S, yep. and it's an acronym for the substances in food naturally present that can cement so seeing a dietitian who is trained in the use of FODMAPs can be a really good place uh, to start for Crohn's disease. You're brilliant, Dr. Libby. It's so thank good you. to catch up again. Thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, and thank you so much for having me join you. I love it.